Welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. My name is Nate. I'm so glad to be here with you for this exciting episode. Uh, We are in a season called Out of the Ashes, where we're talking about um, ways that people have struggled um, and how God has sort of brought them through that. And I just want to give a disclaimer right here at the top of the episode that this episode deals with some uh, very serious issues, including abuse uh, and sexual violence. So if that is an issue or a trigger for you, I'm just going to tell you we're not going to shy away from it because in some ways um, the light is revealed by the depth of the darkness. Uh, And so just going to give you a heads up, and this episode is most certainly not appropriate for children. So that out of the way, uh, I just want to be I just want to be really, uh, really welcoming to our guest co-podcast host (laughs) song is out of town. Traveling, and so um, Christine Anderson is uh, is going to be stepping in for him for the next couple of weeks. I'm super excited about yeah. that. Welcome, happy Christine. to be here. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to get rolling. I, th- this is really your story <laughs> to tell. Yeah, um, but why don't we start at the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, which is the home that you grew up in? You told me that that p- played into some of what you experienced later on in life. Why don't we start there? Yeah, so um, I grew up in um, a somewhat abusive home, um, specifically, you know, up until my parents' divorce. Um, So my dad uh, was really emotionally and physically abusive, especially to my other siblings. Um, Some of my half-siblings who weren't his kids lived in the house, and I remember, you know, seeing that go towards them more than toward me. Um, So I felt blessed to be mostly excluded from all of that. Um, But that was, you know, just kind of my expectation of, of what, you know, watching his relationship with my mom is, is kind of like how, how women were treated. Are are you still in a relationship with your dad? I am. I have, uh, in different sermons too, talked about it's been a rocky road. I'm sure, <laughs> um, but I think that God has brought a lot of healing in His life and a lot of healing in our relationship. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, what you said was essentially like from r- early memory, your understanding of the way that men treated women mm-hmm. um, and other people, the way that men operated, was sort of like with violence yeah. and and with manipulation or abuse or whatever. Mm-hmm. How how did that did that I know we've talked about how that played out in later years. How did that play out as in your home? Like, how did you treat your, how did you treat your dad? How did you, how did you interact? What was your home environment like? Yeah, I think, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram too. And so, uh, there were a lot of people, you know, all of us, there's seven of us, right? So each of us in, interacted with that yeah. differently. Um, for me, I was like, if I am good enough, if I am quiet yes. enough, if I am oh. like helpful enough, then uh, there won't be any reason to get to get shouted at, to be shamed, to be hurt. Yeah. Um, and so that was how I I kind of survived all of my growing up years. My my mom is also an Enneagram too, so she was like, <laughs> you know, warm and um, tried to protect me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it just re- re- reminded me that we had you on the podcast when we were talking about the Enneagram because yeah. you're an Enneagram too. Did we talk at all about, um, about like 
abusive childhoods in Enneagram 2s. No. Did we talk about that at we all? Didn't. I don't think it's not like a one to one thing, mm-hmm. but it does feel like in some ways there is a a relationship there. I don't know yeah. what it is. And I was wondering if you had ever thought of it or talked about it or noticed it with other Enneagram 2s. Um, I feel like it makes sense to me thinking through, I mean, again, not a one-to-one, right? There are lots of mm-hmm. wonderful Enneagram twos in my life who, who had a wonderful yeah. two-parent upbringing that yeah. was healthy. Um, but I know that my mom, you know, it's, it's one of those, it, it's passed down, right? She, her dad was abusive. Really? So she married her first husband who was abusive oh my and then gosh. her second husband who was abusive. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's passed down in that yeah. way and I, I do think that's shaped her as an Enneagram too yeah wow so what what comes next I mean your parents eventually got a divorce how old were you when that happened um, I again I think part of the reason I escaped mostly unharmed was because I was only seven okay when they divorced so it was you know the teen years that it really um, I think started to affect most of my siblings really yeah okay so your parents are divorced, and then, I mean, I, I'm trying to, like, let you tell the story, but, like, what what's next? Yeah. So um, I, um, you know, just kind of made it through. I So I guess it, an important aspect is I came to faith in, you know, in, in the midst of all of this. Okay. In uh, elementary school, um, in the midst of other tragedies, I feel like God really strengthened my faith. Um, and so then I went off to college and, um, you know, like my mom looked for a guy like my dad. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, yeah, when I was in college, I, um, was in like a a fairly serious relationship with, um, a guy who was not a believer, um, and who was like my dad, like really, uh, sociable, really friendly, really like outwardly facing, just great charismatic guy, um, and who, on the other end of it, um, yeah, just did couldn't respect my boundaries. Or were you aware that that's what was happening? Were you aware of the similarities between this guy and your? I don't think father? so. No, was yeah. your was did your mom ever say anything like? Oh, I think that guy's trouble or So I was in New Mexico okay. and so she was all the way up in Oregon. Okay. So she never met him except what I told her about him, which was mm. uh selective. All the good things. <laughs> all the good sure. things. Yeah. Yeah. So how long were you in that relationship for? Um about two years. Oh wow. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. I uh, anything that I ask you that you don't want to share, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to like how how long into the relationship was it before you started to see the side of him that was manipulative or abusive or disrespectful? Yeah, probably about three months. Wow. Um, and I think I tried uh, for uh, like obviously like 18 months or, yeah. or whatever um, to be good enough oh. that it would stop if that yeah. makes sense yep. um of like oh you know just like laugh it off and like you know like set my boundary really gently right like ha 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 gonna move over here or mm. ha 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 i'm gonna th- don't do that again you mm. know just like that really um easy going but yeah. setting the boundaries like communicating but not too harshly because i don't want to scare him away right. um which is in yeah is how I, I dealt with that. Um, 
And then I would say... And uh, I just, sorry to interrupt, but also in some ways, like, that plays right into an abuser's hands, yeah, right? Like, that, that if there isn't a hard no, then it's probably that much easier for him to justify his own yeah. horrendous actions. Mm-hmm. So I, I get, like, it's a very, very complex dynamic, but... Um, so... What type of boundaries? You said he didn't respect your boundaries. Mm-hmm. As an individual, your physical person, what was it that he... Th- I would say my, my physical person. Um, so, you know, there would, like, <laughs> just without being too graphic, like, he would molest me or, you yeah. know, put his hands places that I said he couldn't. Yeah. Um, all, all the time. Um, and so... That was hard for me because, you know, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church where, like, purity culture is enforced. And so, and women are largely responsible for being the defenders of sort of the purity line. And so, I, I, yeah, it was, I think already there was a lot of guilt there. Yeah. um, Which I think made it harder to leave the relationship, right? Because it was like, you know, this has, w- and th- the problem with the idea of purity, right, is it as soon as it's lost, it can't be regained. Yeah. Um, without which, isn't, which isn't true. Yeah, which like isn't we, true. I want to be clear about that, but that yeah. is, that's sort of the message that's communicated. Yeah, and so uh, I think, yeah, throughout this relationship, I was feeling like I, w- I was still, had a relationship with God, still praying, but I think all of my prayers were probably confessional <laughs> yeah. for what had been done to me oh. <laughs> and just like the mistakes that I had made that allowed, you know, like, uh God forgive me for not, you know, somehow protecting myself in a different right. way. Right. For not for not guarding my own purity like more sort of forcefully or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Christine. Uh, so, yeah. So you know I have two teenage daughters. And so this is a this is a hard conversation for me to have because I can't I can't hear it without thinking about them being in a relationship. So I will I will try I will try to like stay on track and have it be about your story, but man, as a dad, this really strikes in a mm-hmm. in a hard place for me. Yeah. Um, so he was disrespecting your physical mm-hmm. boundaries, and what else? And so, uh, well, I guess about uh, nine months into our relationship, um, because of other issues in his life, he got kicked out of his apartment and I had my own apartment. So he moved onto my couch, okay. um, which was a fold out futon, um, which just brought that closer sure. to home. It made me more available for a lot of different, oh, um, yeah, just like manipulations. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's always, it took me a long time to unlearn. He'd be like, Oh, this is what I need. Um, and unlearning, like, again, as a two, like, I don't have to, that, that's not what you need. It's yeah. what you want. Right. And I don't have to provide. Right. Or <laughs> even if it is your need, I'm not necessarily responsible for yeah. fulfilling that need. And yeah. again, I, I want to be clear. If we're talking about sex, guys will communicate it as mm-hmm. a need. And it's, that's not true. Yeah. It's not true. Um, but if he was saying, like, a need that might be a legitimate need, mm-hmm. you still don't. You still don't have to be the one to fill that need, even yeah. if you're in a relationship with them. I'm speaking to all you young women <laughs> out there. And dudes, too. I mean, it, yeah. hap- it, ha- it, it flies both ways. It really mm-hmm. does. Although I think often the dynamic we see is uh, male to female that way. Yeah. Okay. So now this is like, I don't know this full story. Yeah. And some of this, it's like, it, it's like a. It's like a it's like a horror movie where it's <laughs> yeah. like oh no now he's in the house like that's yeah. exactly what I feel like right now. 
um, like somehow he got in where he wasn't supposed to get in and now he's like right next to you all the time. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the, and I wish I could say like the end of our relationship happened when, but mm. it wasn't, but, um, probably like six months into, or, you know, I don't know, a, f- a, m- a few months into him living in my home, um, he came back at like 3 a.m. drunk from a party, mm. um, and I was already, uh, you know, I go to sleep at 8 p.m. I'm yeah. like a <laughs> an early to You're bed. You're deep in REM at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, that was um, the night that he raped me, oh, um, which was, I think, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, my defense mechanism when that happened was like, if I don't talk about it and I don't think about it, it did not happen. Yeah. Um, so I kept dating him for, I think, a, a couple more months um, of like, if it did, and, and it, you know, it like was never mentioned between us again. Really? It was never um, like, I just, things got more tense. And I was just a little bit more probably harsh with him, um, as I as I probably should have been the whole time, um, but but I was like, if we can make this work, then it like didn't happen. If that makes sense. Yeah. Or, uh, and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in some ways, like if we're in a relationship that that puts that act of violence in a different context mm-hmm. than if it was like two strangers yeah. or something. Um, oh, um, so he, he, he was still like living with you. Mm-hmm. What, how, how, d- can you give me some insight into sort of your mental state at that point? Was it mostly just trying to like compartmentalize, like mm-hmm. sort of say like this is an act or a relationship that lives in this tiny corner of my brain mm-hmm. and the door is shut? Yeah. Is that where you lived? Yeah, I think, you know, at it was like 3.30 a.m. that one night, I remember I cried about it, and I cried, like, all night, and then I didn't cry about it again mm. for, like, six months, wow. um, because it was, it was something that I didn't want to admit to anyone else, and so I didn't want to admit it to myself, because... I tend to be like an open book, right? <laughs> so right. It's like... Um, if you it admit it to yourself, it's like everybody's... Or people are going to know, yeah. essentially. Oh, yeah. Christine, that's really um, hard to hear. I mean, so, yeah. it's not about me, but... <laughs> uh, um, so it was actually uh, at a women's conference was... Um, I I remember... I don't even remember what it was said, Um but that was the first time that I felt like I had the strength to say, like, oh, this was not okay, and we need to break up. And I think it, was, it wasn't it was even about, like, relationships. It was about what is your path? Like, what it, where is God leading you? Where is he taking you? And I was like, I can't go anywhere if I'm always afraid. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be able to help anyone if I'm always the one, like, trying to survive. Mm. Um, and so just realizing, like, you know, for me, like wanting to feeling called to ministry, feeling called to like love others and pour yeah. out. I was like, I'm never going to be able to pour out if I can't get filled up. Mm-hmm. Um, if I like always have holes in my bucket. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, I told him and he, uh, he w- did not respond in violence. He was, you know, just like begging and pleading and um, 
you know, really like making a case um, for staying together. Um, and he actually lived in my apartment for another couple of months because he couldn't find his own place. Oh, my gosh. Um, so he was still living on my couch. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, one thing that I also want to put out there is that it's sort of like classic abuser behavior mm-hmm. that in those moments of relationship decision, the positive or the like frail or needy part of that type of personality will come out mm-hmm. instead of in some in some ways like it's kind of 50 50 like sometimes you're gonna get violence but sometimes you'll get this other thing that potentially makes you second guess like mm-hmm. oh i mean look how sorry he is look how like apologetic he is look how sad he is like maybe this is the turning point mm-hmm. spoiler alert it's never the turning point. Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully, you actually cut it off. But again, mm-hmm. like the killer's still in the house, Christine. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Uh, t- talk to me about that intermediate. What was that like? Um, I think that was when I s- first started, like actually crying about and mm-hmm. processing through it. And um, yeah, he, I was trying to win me back the whole time. Really? Um, that he was sleeping on my couch. Um. And then finally I like went abroad to study abroad um, and I texted him and I was like, you can't be there when I get back. Mm. Um, And so that summer I I went abroad and I stayed with my brother, which was like, you know, really helpful because he was always my protector when we were in the same house, you know, with my dad. And and so, and then I studied abroad. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. And. So I'm assuming he he was gone when you got back he then. Was. It actually was sort of like it d- was he out of your life then? Was it really like Um so he the way we met was he was the director of my play and the president of the like theater company okay. I was part of. Um and so he was very much still in my life. We had all the same friends. We mm. were in the same shows. Um and yeah, so it was it was still a lot of interaction, and I think that's part of what made it hard. Like, I I never shared my story, right? Yeah. Because it was like I don't really want this to go anywhere. Right. I don't want anything to come of this. Um, and my roommates, I moved in with um, these two lovely um, gay guys in my department, um, who were very protective of me, mm-hmm. and they were like, um, they could tell. That's some, you know, that it wasn't just like a bad breakup kind yeah. of a thing. Okay. Um, but whenever they asked, I was like, "You know him. I I'm not gonna share and let this like go all across the department that he's this terrible person because I've seen right all these like public facing. He's so charming, yeah. he's so funny. Um, and so yeah, so I didn't talk about it until um, a l- like after I had moved to Michigan. Really. Um. And that was not very long ago in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things. W- it was four years. Yeah, about four years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so when I moved here, um, yeah, I still, I, I hadn't been, I didn't get diagnosed with PTSD until I told my doctor it happened, which was like two years into me living here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was always like a constant, you know, you're walking down the street and someone passes a little too close or um you know i i remember like working at at the restaurant i had one coworker who um physical touch is her love language and she would always like 
touch my arm. And it was uh, like a year and a half into me being here. I was like, I think physical touch might be my love language. Hmm. But it had been so long, like years and years since right. I had wanted to be touched. Right. <laughs> um, and so just things like that where it was like, it was definitely part of my life for the first two years that I lived here. Yeah. So when you say PTSD, mm-hmm. help me understand, I don't, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. Either both sort of like as a diagnosis and then also like in your life, let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I, I actually, so when I first got the diagnosis, it felt like, um, the end of the world because I had learned about it in the context of war in my U.S. history class, and in that context, they were like, there's no cure, there's no way of fixing this, people just come back from the war broken, and we don't know what to do about it. Like, that was the context in which I learned about it. Okay. And so, um, you know, it it looks for a lot of people like flashbacks, it's, you know, a lot of times in the movies it's portrayed, right, like a war vet feeling like they're back in the war. Yeah. Um, And for me, I think that's a pretty good metaphor of like, someone would pass too close and all of a sudden I was back in a a moment of violence. Um, And it wasn't anything they had done. It was just that my brain... Right, like there's like a trigger... Took me back. And it sends your brain down this whole path that Mm -hmm. is perhaps related to what's happening, but not necessarily. It's related to what happened, Mm -hmm. not what's happening in the moment. Okay. Yeah. Now, and we sort of skipped over this part because we're in Michigan, but you, you had instances of violence against you Apart from this, mm-hmm. this boyfriend, this ex-boyfriend, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Albuquerque. Um, I always tell people like it's a lovely place to visit. Um, <laughs> Which is like the backhanded compliment. Yeah, because it's <laughs> really not a. It's, it's you know, for me, even like being white and a woman, I I saw like my uh, Chicana roommates get even worse than really? I did. Um, because there was like a certain level of like, oh, it's like a little bit more okay to harass you. But yeah, it was, you know, you don't walk down the street without being harassed. And, and at times like, you know, that would mean getting attacked on the street and having to to push someone off or there was, you know, one time when like I got pushed up against a wall, um, and just these, the view of women there was really low and, and it made, um, because of that, right, it's like, oh, well, this is w- what you elicit in people. This right. is on you. Ugh. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, your your sort of readiness, for lack of a better term, to hear that message mm-hmm. was sort of, like, started in childhood and reinforced by this ex-boyfriend and now it's like literally the water you're swimming in yeah in your city oh boy so so now you're in ann arbor Mm -hmm. michigan you obviously bring that mentality with you you don't just get to leave that in albuquerque Mm -hmm. how how do you what is it what is life like when you get here yeah Um, so for the first year that I was here, um, I never, for instance, like invited anyone into my home, Mm. um, because that had, that was no longer a safe thing to do. Um, and I, 
I wanted to, you know, be in community. I wanted to pursue Christ. Like that was why I had left that relationship. That yeah. was the only, right. Like my own safety wasn't enough for, for my brain, but like right. pursuing Christ, like that was what kind of gave me the courage. And so, um, I, I dove into, you know, Grace Church and yeah. serving here. Um, but I think I still had a lot of fear, um, just ingrained in me of saying the wrong thing or wearing the wrong thing. Right. And like, somehow uh, uh like bringing about right like eliciting the response that you were taught was your fault yeah. essentially oh okay all right this is killing me <laughs> uh, i mean it's just but here's the thing and and i think that, like you're it, you experienced this on a on a very very deep level mm-hmm. but w- but i think a uh, broad brush but it is a podcast. Mm-hmm. Most women experience that at some level yeah. all the time. Like that, that's not the, the depth to which you experienced it is unique, mm-hmm. but sort of the message, unfortunately is not unique. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's awful. Yeah. That's the long and short of it. It's awful. So how did you begin to sort of find a new way or come out of sort of this place that you were living? Yeah. Um, I, so the, the first thing that always comes to mind is, you know, God, every, every year he places a word on my heart Mm. that, that I feel called to live into and explore, um, and, and kind of journey through with him. And, um, in 2019, that word was worthy. Um, and I remember that journey of like, what does it mean to be worthy? Yeah. Was such a powerful and painful experience for me. Um, and in, in realizing like, um, a lot of times, you know, we are called worthy, not because of anything we do, yeah, but because of Christ's grace, often in spite of what we do. Yeah. Um, and, and realizing like, if there's, you know, there's, there's always that cliche that I've heard a million times. Like if you can't do anything to earn God's grace, you can't do anything to lose God's grace. Um, and that always felt like, oh, okay, it's funny. But, like, I hadn't internalized it. Like, yeah. I knew it in my mind, right? And it's also the opposite of y- the message on purity that you received growing yeah. up, which is, like, you absolutely <laughs> can lose it. Like, yeah, exactly. if you dress provocatively, like, that's your, pro- like, you've done it. You wrecked it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is w- uh, probably a, a monumental shift in your mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I think it was... It, uh, it changed a lot of maybe my two-ish tendencies, first of all, hmm. um, which is interesting because I obviously I still value being helpful yeah. and being, you know, loving and, and that's still my, like, probably my core value or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it changed my perspective on the purpose um, because if only Christ can call me worthy, um, then, like, I, I don't need to earn that love yeah um and i don't need to um yeah just i i think there was a lot of stress <laughs> and fear mm. that that was released in in really meditating on that like christ saying i am worthy yeah. as i am um because i you know i legitimately and this is going to sound like over dramatic but part of the reason that like physical touch you know it's my love language um uh, but it wasn't for a long time was cause I, I literally felt like I had a layer of like slime oh on man. my skin and I just didn't want anyone to touch me. Yeah. 
Um, and I felt like it was like the process of God, like wiping away that slime. Yeah. Um, and telling me like, you are clean. Right. Right. I mean, that's a powerful sort of image. I mean, the, the, the truth is that again, like you weren't covered in slime. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I appreciate that you felt that way, but that just it just is a really it's really powerful to to see the shift in your um, self perception mm-hmm. and also y- like your motivation for doing the things. If you know, it's kind of it's it's fascinating to see that in your story, the exact same action can either be tremendously unhealthy mm-hmm. based on the motivation. Or it can be a tremendous gift from God to the people around yeah. you, and it has it for a two. It has to do with: Am I doing this to try to like earn, mm-hmm. you know, affection or care, or you know, or is it because I have an overflow of things yeah. that I want to give away? Um, wow. So how how did how did I mean? You said there was a lot of like meditating on God's word and prayer. Were there other things that were a part of that transformative process for you? Yeah, I think the other, the like most important aspect for me was also like God's people Mm. coming around Mm -hmm. me and, and just realizing, I think I wanted to like be at the other end of the journey before I told anyone, right? Like, Oh, "Oh, I'll talk about this in 10 years. Once I'm healed, like once I, once I've processed it on my own. Um, and, then so well what actually happened I God like forced forced it upon me to share it because um I started I don't know if you remember like before my real stomach problems started I like was kind of having some stomach troubles first year I was on staff and um I went in and um my doctor said that some of my like health problems looked like it could be an STD and was I sexually active Ah. And that was the first time I had had told, you know, someone that that I had been raped Um, because I didn't get a rape kit. I didn't, you know, have any I didn't want any like further action. And so and this was you said this was two years into you being here Mm -hmm. already. Um, Yeah. And so um, I at one point I was like in the car with Jillian and she asked me like, how are you? Oh, um, and I was like, well, I Jillian, <laughs> Jillian's another staff member at Grace. Yeah. Oh man. And, um, and so she was, you know, the first person other than my doctor in, in Michigan that I had told. Um, and I remember just feeling, you know, one of the things she said was, um, it, this wasn't your fault. Yeah. And I think, you know, I also have been to therapy um, for this, for, for especially after I got the diagnosis of PTSD. Um, and, and I think when he says that as, as a therapist, it, like, doesn't mean the same thing. Sure. As when it's someone... It's your job to say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when it's someone who knows me um, and who's heard the story, yeah. um, it, it hit me different. And realizing, like, you know, part of, you know, I, not that this needed to be confessed. But for me, it was, it was an act of confession of like, you know, this is, this is what I let happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and realizing like, I think I had a negative perception of confession before of like, part of my punishment is that I have to tell other people the bad <laughs> things I did. Right. <laughs> like that was like, in my view right. Of it. right. And, and I think that was the beginning of me realizing like, no, sometimes like confession is, 
telling other believers what has happened to you and what you've done so that they can remind you of God's grace. Yeah. And, and help you carry a burden. Yeah. And yeah. And just speak God's truth into your life and, and be with you in that journey. And so, um, yeah, I think after that it was, it was easier for me to start like talking about it with people who I trusted, right? I like I didn't sure. just talk about this on the street. I mean, now you have. But yeah, <laughs> now I have. Um, but there was there's there's a there's a lot of healing that needs to happen, right? Before oh, you sure. could just talk about it with just anyone. Um and so, yeah, I was, you know, talking about it with my discipleship circle and then, you know, with like my closest friends yeah. and, and really just inviting more of God's people into that space. Mm. And what happened as as you began to invite those people in? Um, I think first of all, people knowing my story, mm. it it made it so much easier, right? Because there's like this whole mm, two years of my life, really three years of my life, because uh, you know the year after we broke up, yeah. where it's like, uh, it, it's impossible to talk about, yeah, in any sort of specificity, because if you don't know that I was depressed and had been sexually abused and assaulted on the street. Like a lot of what I say, it, it doesn't sound it's, it's only the rose colored glasses version. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, of everything that was happening underneath. And so inviting people in that space, first of all, I was able to be myself yeah. and be honest in a new way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't, th- you can't have something that significant, uh, that formative mm-hmm. and, as a as a secret and at the same time feel known. Yeah. It's not you <laughs> both can't exist simultaneously. So there's yeah. like this huge gap of you essentially like you said having to be you know Richard Rohr, I think it is Richard Rohr, talks a lot about the difference between sort of our false self mm-hmm. and our authentic self and living for extended periods of time in your false self it is it's death to the soul. Yeah. It just is. Um so, yeah, I can yeah. see how you being able to communicate that out is like, oh, guess what? You can begin to live authentically mm-hmm. in a way that you couldn't before. And I think, you know, being fully seen and, and kind of understood in this new way and still being loved mm-hmm. was not something I could have pictured. Um, Did you think you were going to be sort of like judged or looked down on or? I I did. Yeah, I thought like, oh, you know, I have I have messed up um and and that's going to be like, you know, like a a, a knife on the block, right? Like this is the end of that. Um and I I'll, you know, that that's so silly looking back because Jillian loves me. She's yeah. not going to, you know, or um yeah, people aren't going to judge who I am today based on that. But it just yeah. feels like if I'm judging myself based on that. So I just want to take a short detour and come back to your story because we started to talk about this and I think this is a good place for it to work in. In some ways, I think that 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 perception goes back to feeling like your purity was something that was yours to protect Mm -hmm. and you failed. Yeah. And so therefore, regardless of sort of the trauma that you experienced, it was still your fault. Mm -hmm. Like that's the message that you're, you're tending to believe. Yeah. Which, but you have become really passionate about community because you're also the director of uh, Grace Student Ministries. Mm-hmm. 
about communicating a different sort of understanding yeah. of sexuality and decision-making and purity for our students, yeah. which I think is a sort of a direct reflection of your own journey. Can you talk about that just a little bit? What is it that you try to communicate to them? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there's this difference in, in my mind between the idea of sexual purity and sexual integrity. Um, because purity is, you know, again, like if, if you lose it, it's gone. Sure. And then at that point, what's the point in doing the right thing? Right. It's like, it's, uh, you've already. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know that, and that was part of the, the motivation for me, right. Staying in a relationship that, that wasn't healthy. Right. Um, whereas sexual integrity, like those are decisions. Integrity is something you build. Mm. It's something you build day by day by day. And it's going to be a lot more work if you lose your integrity to rebuild it. Mm. Um, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Um, and and really seeing sexual integrity as, as the decisions you're making, yeah. right? Because um, even though it's like, in in my mind, every every like action has an equal opposite reaction, right? Like it's like, oh well, if if this happened, it's it must have been because of mm. something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that was ultimately his decision, right? Absolutely. I was asleep, you know, just like no matter what else led up to that. Yeah. Um, and so I I really want yeah our students to understand like what what God looks at is your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and what he looks at is, is the actions that you are taking to pursue him. Um, and yeah, it, nothing can, can push you away from his love. And there's also the element of, I want to be careful about how I say this, but there will always be things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And if our worth is dependent on things like outside of our control. Yeah. Like we're screwed. Yeah. Like we are absolutely screwed. And, and so the beauty of the, the message of integrity is to say like, there's, there's all sorts of things around you that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. What God is concerned about is how you sort of choose and respond in light of all those things. Mm-hmm. And th- those things can look like super small things. They can look like, horrendously traumatic things yeah. uh, but none of those are a reflection of your worth or your integrity because yeah. it's all about how you respond in some ways it's a powerful i'm glad you're i'm glad you're telling my kids that that's, <laughs> <a> <laughs> yeah. that's for sure um so w- it hasn't been it hasn't been that long mm-hmm where where are you at on your journey right now? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I am definitely still in the healing process, right? Yeah. And that was uh, one of the things I was thinking about in coming on this podcast is, again, just reminding people, like, you don't have to be at the end of the road looking no. back, like, oh, this all makes sense now, Yeah. Um, in order to share with other people. Um, I think in my healing journey, I got through this this whole podcast without crying, which is like <laughs> would not have happened two years ago. Um, so God has worked a lot of healing. Um, but I think, yeah, that there will always, this is, will always be part of my story. Sure. Um, and in some ways, God uses that to like, you know, um, shape my heart for people who have been in the same situation or who feel like they're stuck. Yeah. Um, or, or too far gone. Yeah. Um, and in, in other ways, I feel like God has already used, yeah, this story 
and this trauma to to build and rebuild my own soul yeah. right mm-hmm. um and and maybe to like knock down the false foundations um and build it on him that's like a really sort of healthy and optimistic um perspective on a really horrible event but um but I, I, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I think the other thing that I love that you mentioned was that out of the ashes, it doesn't mean everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every person that we've talked to on this podcast, like healing is a process. Mm-hmm. And just because you're not fully healed doesn't mean that healing isn't taking place. Yeah. And doesn't mean that you're not taking steps forward. And that's a really, I mean, I, and I think I've said this on other episodes, but Sung one time shared a story or shared the concept of how in some ways we're like on a, we're on a circle. The issues that are our issues, like the unhealthy parts of being a two for you mm-hmm. or the unhealthy parts of being a perfectionist for me, like those are going to keep coming around, mm-hmm. you know, and our, and the grace of God is that we see them sooner we don't sort of spiral as deeply when things are going poorly yeah. and that we sort of come through it, you know, with a better understanding of ourselves or better understanding of who God has called us to be or whatever. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that is, it's not like it just, it's oh, great, perfect. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Wow. Christine, we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I'm really, really uh, thankful for your honesty. Um and your willingness to share. Is there any, any other things that we didn't touch on that for you feel like I wouldn't want this podcast to end without having the chance to say X? Um, I think, you know, I've probably said this in a couple different ways, but, um, I, I think maybe just the, the last thing I want to say is for those, you know, whatever, whatever things we're struggling with, like the, the bravest thing we can do is ask for help. Mm. Um, so good. And, and I think, you know, for some people, like there are times when it's not, it's not safe to ask for help. Like in certain situations, it doesn't feel like a safe thing. Um, but I feel like, you know, in the people of grace, there are so many safe people. Um, and, and bringing them into the darkness of, of your life and letting them shine God's light. Like, man, that is, it takes so much courage. And I just so believe in God's ability to bring radical healing through that. It's a great word, Christine. Thanks again for sharing your story. And, um, you're going to be the guest co-host for the next several episodes. Yes. So I'm looking forward to lots more conversations and lots more special guests. Hope to see you at our next episode. Have a great week.